0: Hey, we'd like to welcome you back to our current event and weekly Bible study for, and this will probably be our second and final part for April 25th, 2010. We're going to talk a little bit about the emergent church here, subject that I've had a lot of requests on. And this is from Lighthouse Trails Research, probably the best source on the internet for information regarding uh, this particular subject the emerging church and a lot of this stuff that Rick warns into, and Oprah Winfrey, and how it's all tying together. Now, I give you all their links at the conclusion of the couple articles we're going to be looking at here. This is one from one of their most recent newsletters. And uh, you can click on that, and they've got a good search bar. If you're searching for a particular subject, you can go up there and search. And if you want to know about Rick Warren or whoever, they'll usually have multiple articles on this. So, this starts out This is by a guy named Bob DeWay. He says, Emergent writers condemn any approach that declare some ideas to be true and others false. Absolute truth claims do not fit into the emergent conversation. Now, by emergent, we mean emergent, the emerging church. This is literally going to be the coming, at least on the Christian side, pseudo-Christian side, I should say, the coming one-world church. This is going to be the part of the Christian church that most likely unites all the other pseudo-Christian denominations under a mantle, and then unites underneath the one world religious system that the Bible does predict. This is this is going to be one of the ways they all get on the same page is through this particular movement. And it's also very compatible with a lot of the other Eastern mysticism type of religions. Buddhism, Hinduism, Taoism, all of that stuff. Very, very compatible with that. So, absolute truth claims do not fit into the emergent church conversation because they, quote, divide people. But the price of giving up such claims is to give up the very claims that the Bible, biblical writers made. In Paul's address to Festus and Agrippa, his words indeed got Agrippa's attention. In Acts 26, 27-29 he says, "King Agrippa, believeth thou the prophets? I know that thou believest. Then Agrippa said unto Paul, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. And Paul said, I would to God that not only thou, but also all that hear me this day, were both almost and altogether such as I am, and meaning were as a Christian as he was, except these bound meaning he was in bonds at that point and, and he was wishing that they would all be Christians unbound is essentially what he's saying here. Paul believed that the truth claims such as the bodily resurrection of Christ, which was what was stated in Acts twenty six twenty three, were to be proclaimed even before the kings who had the power over Paul's life. His was not a conversation with those who were just as likely who are those of the same mindset as Paul, but of a bold proclamation of truth designed to convince others of the same truth. But the very practice of the New Testament apostles is what most emergent leaders oppose. Compare that to Paul's assessment of the Judaizers in Galatia. Now, these were the ones that came in to spy out the liberty of the newly converted Jewish, primarily Jewish Christians in Galatia. I mean, you read about the warnings of falling back into the system of the law, just read Galatians alone, not to mention Romans and Hebrews and so many other places. And this is what we have with the modern-day Hebrew roots and the modern-day Seventh-day Adventists, very, very similar, to bring us back into the bondage of the law. Um, here's the warning. Here's just one of the many warnings in the book of Galatians. Galatians one six. says, I marvel... That you are so soon removed from him that called you in, under the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another, but there may be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. And then he says again in the next verse, Galatians 1.9, as we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that you have received, let him be accursed. Now, the primary other gospel that they were in reference to were the Judaizers that were coming to bring the newly converted Jewish converts back into the system of, of law and thus bondage. It was another gospel. This is how you've got to get to heaven. You've got to do this and you've got to do that. You've got to keep the law. Okay, But they're saying here that they let him be accursed if you do such a thing. Now, this emergent church movement and the gospel they present has no absolute truth. It truly is another gospel. And the Bible says, let him be accursed. Furthermore, Paul urged others to follow his example and charge the elders with the duty of correcting false teaching. Titus 1.9, holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught, that he may be able to, by sound doctrine, both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. So, again, this is what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to, with the faithful word, by sound doctrine to both exhort and convince the gainsayers. Contrast Paul's instructions to Christian elders with the ideas of the emergent writer, Samir Samanovic. He says, quote, We have created a false tension, between keeping our Christian identity intact and approaching the world in humility. Humility is to be our identity. When we open ourselves to be taught by, quote, the other, we don't become less the followers of Christ, but more so. Oh, who, according to you? I mean, what rank lies and heresy is that? According to Paul, we are to guard the flock against, quote, the other, meaning other religious beliefs that are not in accord with the faith that was once delivered unto the saints. It's not in accord with the Bible. And in the emergent view, this other is what this other teaches us. Humility is not openness to false religions and false teachings. It is the realization that we are sinners who are in need of a Savior. That's where the primary humility needs to start, I think, is what he needs to say. So, (laughs) you know, people go around nowadays, and they would say, well, well, we need to be open to other religious views and things of this nature. Whereas the Bible says, let them be accursed. You know, If they're trying to present, present to you a false gospel, what are they trying to do? They're trying to damn your soul to hell forever. I mean, it's a very serious matter. The real false tension is that one emergent thinking creates between humility and confidence in the once for all revealed truth. Moses was called humble in Numbers 12.3, and to him was given the revelation of God's truth. Humble Moses told the Israelites not to listen to anyone who came in the name of God that they had not known, it came in the name of a God they had not known, even if they produced signs and wonders, according to Deuteronomy 13, through 4 The idea that God's people would listen to false teachings as a sign of their humility is in opposition to what we are told in the Bible, clearly. Next article. Max Lucado joins the covenant for civility. Now, people email me about this as well, this Covenant for Civility. well-known author, Max Lucado, has placed his name on the Covenant for Civility, who, after all, can argue against such a wonderful document, which calls for an end to the mean-spirited debate and rancor. But unfortunately, this document is presented in spiritual terms. It begins with Psalm 133-1, where it says how good and pleasant it is when people... um, the people of God dwell in unity. Um, the document then states, as Christian pastor, pastors and leaders, the covenant for civility also refers to the unity we have in the body of Christ. Incredibly, the agreement also includes a pledge that there be no questioning of any other's faith. No questioning. Yet Brian McLaren, who totally rejects the biblical Christ, is one of its signatories. There are others who totally reject Jesus Christ who have also been included. I mean, where does it end? Where does it end? How do we join in the spiritual agreement when Christ tells us, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Good point. The can't we just all get along plea is not found in the Bible if it means compromising doctrine. We are told in 2 Corinthians 6 14 through 18 says, It says, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness, and what concord hath Christ with Belial, or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel, and what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people." Wherefore come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. And I will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. So I get questions all the time. Well, Where do I go to church? I'm going to this church now and it's really apostate and this and that. But I, I know that I'm not supposed to forsake the, the assembling of the brethren. Well, are they even brethren? And has the church been totally leavened to the gills? If it has, you, I'm... Of the personal opinion that you're not supposed to be unequally yoked together with unbelievers, and you need to get out of there. I mean, if it's apostate, if it's if it's totally reprobate, if it's totally preaching another gospel, you don't want to stay in there for the sake of assembling with the brethren. Okay? Because of whom a man is overcome, the same he is brought into bondage. If you stay under that teaching week in, week out, most likely you're going to be brought under bondage from whatever doctrine they're preaching. So it's something that, you know, pray about it, but I would err on the side of safety. And pray and fast and see where the Lord would lead you. <clears throat> First Timothy 4, one, you know, it says it's going to be this way. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, which is what we're talking about here. Speaking lies and hypocrisy, and having their conscience seared with a hot iron. And I give you all the links there um, to that article. Here's some amazing quotes from heretics, heretics that you shouldn't forget about. Here's one from Rick Warren from May of 2005, and these are all they're all links after these ones that you can click in to verify the quote. Rick Warren says, today there really aren't many fundamentalists left. Now, when we say fundamentalists from a Christian perspective, we're talking they're fundamental to the faith outlined in the Bible, particularly New Testament Christianity that we're in reference to in the day and age we're living in. Rick, Rick Warren says, though, today there really aren't many fundamentalists left. I don't know if you know that or not, but they are such a minority. There aren't many fundamentalists left in America. He's, he's right. <laughs> yeah, He's right, true. Can't argue with them there, really. Uh, and then he goes on to say, now the word fundamentalist actually comes from a document in the 1920s called the Five Fundamentals of the Faith. And it's very legalistic. It's a very narrow view of Christianity. See, they want the broad path where many there be that go thereat, at. But the Bible says that we're supposed to seek the narrow path, the straight way. And the few there be that find it but broad is the way which leadeth to destruction, and many be that go there. So, see, that's what they're trying to increasingly introduce more and more and more within the pseudo-Christianity denominations worldwide, is this broad way, this way that we're we're in compatibility with all these other false religions, and we, lest we offend someone. Jesus Christ said, think not that I come to bring peace, but I came to bring a sword. And a man's foes will be those of his own household, mother against daughter, father against son, on and on and on. And that's what the true gospel will typically do in most families, unless they're all in unity and they're all saved, and then it shouldn't do that. But if, you have, if you're a Christian and your mom's a Buddhist, you're gonna, at some point you're going to have to choose whom this day you're going to serve. And if, you're, and if you just are in unity with her for the sake of not offending her, well, you need to rethink that. I'm not saying you go on trying to pick fights either, but when it comes down to it, you need to stand your ground on biblical tenets. Here's another quote from Rick Warren, January 2006. Fundamentalism is one of the biggest enemies of the 21st century. Muslim, now he goes on to, to kind of try to cover his tracks a little. Muslim fundamentalism. True, Muslim fundamentalists are the guys that are literally going out, strapping on nail bombs on their back, and running into cafes with innocent people, and then blowing themselves and everyone else up. Why? Because that's what the Quran says to do. It says to kill and slay the Jews and the infidels. It commands them to do that. It's waging jihad or holy war for the sake of pleasing Allah, so you can dwell with your whatever 70 virgins when you're done. And all they're going to do is plunge straight into hell. They're being told a lie. I agree Muslim fundamentalism is a huge problem. But then he goes on to say, let me just restate all this, fundamentalism is one of the biggest enemies of the 21st century. Muslim fundamentalism, Christian fundamentalism, Jewish fundamentalism, secular fundamentalism. They're all motivated by fear. Fear of each other. I mean, Rick Warren is as big of an apostate and devil as you're going to find. I've done several teachings on the guy. And, uh, you know, he's the Pied Piper of the coming Christian, Christianized version of the coming one world religion. He's pretty much near the head. I mean, he spoke at Obama's, what, inauguration? We documented that as well. Can't get much worse than that. Here's a quote from Tony Jones at the 2005 National Youth Workers Convention. He says, quote, Emergent, now when we say emergent, we mean this emerging, emergent church, this emerging the contemplative prayer movement, the, all this new age being intertwined into uh, Christianity. Emergent doesn't have a position on absolute truth, or on anything for that matter. Well, there's that expression, you know, if you don't stand for something, you're going to fall for anything. They're openly admitting that the emerging church movement doesn't have a position on absolute truth, which is what the Bible is. The Bible says, what is truth? The Bible says, thy word is truth. The words of the Lord are pure words, tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shall preserve them from this generation forever. Psalm 12, 6 and 7. If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? Psalm 11, verse 3. Well, the word of God is our foundation. Jesus says, if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. So, continuing in his word is how we know the truth, and how the truth makes us free. Make sure you're reading the right Bible, the King James Bible, in, the, in, you know, in order to garner that, and not one of the New Age Versions or any version that have been uh, derived from the 1881 revised version of the two occultists, Westcott and Hort, which is basically what makes up 99% of the Bible versions out there, other than the King James. I've done several teachings on that. All you have to do is go up to YouTube, Scott Johnson, and then like KJV or whatever other subject you're looking for. We're still working on our website, it's just taking a lot longer than we thought. Uh, Very overwhelmed with work on my webmaster and myself. So, going further, let's just restate this. Emergent doesn't have a position on absolute truth, or on anything for that matter. Another verse. There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Proverbs 14.12 and 16.25 state that. So, hey, you know, it sounds like that verse, It, it doesn't have a position on anything, And then it goes on to say, this is so unbelievable, he goes on to say, after he states that, do you show up at a dinner party with your neighbors and ask, what's the dinner party's position on absolute truth? No, you don't, because it's a nonsensical question. You know, that's so asinine, what he just said, I don't even know how to even, I don't even know how to comment on that. Other than that's, Insane? There's no logic in what he said at all. None. But that's how he states it, this Tony Jones. Here's another one. Erwin McManus, from his book The Barbarian Way. Here's what Irwin says. I've quoted this before. Now, this is, I believe, one of the guys also, that you, you look at what Oprah has been doing um, in times past, and this is one of the, the guys that's tying... The spirituality, the New Age spirituality, of like Oprah Winfrey and then Rick Warren and all of them, they're kind of coming together under this, this banner, and he's one of the main ones. He is quoted as saying, My goal is to destroy Christianity as a world religion and to be a re-catalyst for the movement of Jesus Christ. Well, maybe the false Jesus Christ, or Jesus, or whatever they want to call him, most likely Maitreya. But that's what his goal is, is to destroy Christianity. They want to give us another Jesus and another gospel. Well, the Bible says, let him be accursed. We just said those verses. McManus, who is the author of the new book, The Barbarian Way, said in a telephone interview: Some people are upset with me because it sounds like I'm anti-Christian. I think they might be right. End of quote. Yeah, I mean, how could you, how, I mean, that comes off pretty anti-Christian. Here's another quote from Ken Blanchard, co-author of The One Minute Manager, from the Ford and the front cover of What Would Buddha Do in the Workplace? One of my favorite all-time books. What Would Buddha Do? We need to have some bumper stickers. You know, I mean, they got the, what would Buddha do? I mean, come on. What would Buddha do in the workplace? It says He says, does Buddha have anything to offer non-Buddhists in the workplace? My answer is wholeheartedly yes, end of quote. Again, I told you, I watched that, a documentary the other night on Buddha. I kind of wanted to see where this whole religion started. And, you know, when they said at the very outset that there was no record-keeping of Buddha and which is where Buddhism essentially started until like 3 or 400 years after he was supposedly dead. So we don't even know the reality is we really don't even know if the guy even existed. 3 or 400 years you know how messed up things get 3 or 400 years from an oral tradition passing things down. <laughs> well that's that's the that's Buddhism for you. And then they were going through all these things how all of Buddha's thousands of lives before he was actually incarnated as the Buddha, and how he was a dung beetle. I think, you know, one of my favorite incarnations, the old dung beetle. I mean, they even have little animations of Buddha as a dung beetle, rolling this piece of dung up a hill with his hind legs. He was an industrious little sucker. I mean, you, you gotta give him that. You gotta give him an A for effort. And then he was a flock of butterflies or something, all these butterflies, and then he was a horse, and Oh my word! It was it was crazy, but yeah, that's that was. I mean, this is what they're admitting to. Anyway, um, here's another quote. This is from Charisma. Should be Charismania, actually, and it really looks a lot like Charismania. Charisma Magazine, October 2004. They say spiritual ecstasy, the third phase of contemplative prayer, is a supernatural trance state. End of quote. That sounds really biblical. I mean, super, you know, right? Spiritual ecstasy, the third phase of contemplative prayer, which is one of the main tenets of a lot of these Eastern religious mysticism type religions, is a supernatural trance state. Well, the Beatles were responsible in large part for introducing America to Transcendental Meditation, or TM. And I've seen some documentaries on that. And, I mean, you talk about the height of evil and what that does to you when you participate in that. What it's basically doing is it's like opening a floodgate to your soul to invite devils and demons to come in and possess you. That's what you're doing, in essence, with Transcendental meditation. And it's, a lot of times it's related to contemplative prayer, um, you know, reciting one thing over and over and over again, your mantra or whatever. You know, you, you, you classically see the guys in the lotus position contemplating their navel or whatever and speaking a word over and over again. Well, this is what we're talking about. In, in essence, we're I mean, at the higher levels. Here's another... Um, Quote, from Rob Bell, teaching pastor at Mars Hill Bible Church. From Christianity to Christianity Today, the Emergent Mystique. And he says, quote, we're rediscovering Christianity as an Eastern religion. As a way of life. So that just confirms what I just said. They're literally merging the ancient Eastern mysticism type of religions Buddhism, Hinduism, Taoism Zoroastrianism they're merging it now with Christianity another article, another quote Henry Nouwen on the sabbatical journey he says, today I personally believe that while Jesus came to open the door to God's house, all human beings can walk through that door whether they know about Jesus or not Today, I see it as my call to help every person claim his or her own way to God. Again, there is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. You only can go through Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. But Jesus is the way. They're talking about, hey, any way goes. We want to just help them find their own way to God. Does this sound like another gospel? But do you see why Christianity, true Bible believing, fundamental Christianity, will have to be targeted because it's in direct opposition to this? You know, here's a quote from Thomas Merton. <laughs> this is unbelievable. He says, Isn't it a pity that people are going into LSD? Meaning the drug LSD? He says, Isn't it a pity that people are going into LSD to have a spiritual experiences when we have a tradition in the church, meaning contemplative prayer, which no one which no one knows anything about? In other words, hey, you know, you can get high on LSD and, and you talk about a drug that opens demonic doorways. I mean, people that have done LSD, a lot of times, they never, they never recover. There's been people that have went clinically insane after doing it. It opens up doorways to such a huge extent that some people actually literally go insane. I mean, when people say, I did LSD or whatever, and I saw little green men, they probably literally were seeing little green men. Or whatever they were seeing. Or devils or demons. They get so terrified of what they're seeing. Why? Their third eye's been open. That's why. Which is something that a lot of times takes a lot of witchcraft training in order to do. Well, hey, if I can just drop LSD and have it done right then. I can go, I can see into the spirit world. You're not supposed to be able to see into that. LSD in some instances allows that to happen. And uh, he's talking about comparison comparing the spiritual experiences of LSD, uh, when, hey, why why would everybody want to do that when the church has the contemplative prayer, but hardly anybody knows anything about it. Well, what he's really in reference to is a lot of this stems from the ancient Catholic mystics from hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years ago, which is where a lot of this is stemming back to. Um, These monks and these guys that would, you know, do all the stuff. They were the ones that actually originally introduced a lot of this into the pseudo church hundreds of years ago now they're tapping back into that okay so let's go a little bit further here this isn't now this is from I believe a secular source here but it bears it bears repeating this information here because um, of what we're going to be looking at. It says, Keeping it under wraps, Giants, Mummies, and Megalithic Mysteries. Several years ago, during a rather clandestine exchange I had with Brad Steiger, who is not a Christian, okay, I was told a strange series of facts regarding the mummified remains of giants discovered throughout the Americas in the 19th century. We had been talking about his book entitled Worlds Before Our Own, which had recently been repented reprinted by anomalous books when he asked me a question regarding a strange mummified skeleton discovered in 1885. He says, Micah, I think you may have seen the picture that I have of a seven-foot female holding her skeletal baby. She also has a rudimentary tail. Wow. As I tried to recollect an image of this oddity, he added, we may truly be the products of someone else's laboratory. Now again, this is the whole ancient astronaut lie. Where they were going to try to convince you, oh no, we were visited long, long ago and we were a little science project. You know, these aliens or whatever. The gods of old, the, you know. And they actually made us. And we, you know, we're we're the products of someone else's laboratory. Indeed, this was a bizarre concept, but before I had time to ponder what Steiger was saying, he added, quote, I discussed many giant skeletons that were being held in private museums. After the book was published, I learned of even more, and included photos of them in my lectures. Soon individuals beseeched me to cease. Isn't that weird? This guy, who's not even a Christian, discussed these giant skeletons that were held in private museums. But after his book was published, he learned of even more, and included photos of them in his lectures. But soon, individuals were beseeching this man to stop what he was doing. Well, it wasn't because he was defending the Bible. They just wanted him to stop. Why, I asked. The private museums were mysteriously suffering unexplained fires. He told me rather cryptically. Isn't that weird? We get all these remains of giants and all of a sudden wherever they turn up in these private museums they're having all these weird fires. Huh. In addition to the strange stories like this that turn up from time to time I find it very interesting and a bit unsettling that there are instances suggesting some kind of opposition to the ancient mysteries of this world becoming general knowledge among the populace. Well, my comment is there's two main reasons. He had, he actually put his why he believed it was, I believe he's totally wrong on his reasoning. My reasoning, which I believe is biblical, is the two main reasons for all of this suppression. Is number one, it would prove the Bible is true regarding the giants. Okay, because the the giants aren't just discussed in um, Genesis six; they're discussed in in a very large extent after that when the Israelites went into the promised land and all the giant races they battled. Okay? It would, number one, it would confirm that the Bible is true yet again. And also, it's contradictory to the theory of evolution. The theory of evolution doesn't have a, a way to fit this in because if they were giants and they were bigger and they were, you know, how does that fit into the whole evolution model? We were, we you know, we, we evolved from You know, the primordial slime, you know, into the two-celled amoeba, into some kind of gillfish, into some kind of reptile, into some kind of monkey, into some kind of piltdown man, and a Neanderthal man, you know. So, how does the giant fit into that model? It would imply, well, we got really big and strong and good, and then all of a sudden we went down to a normal. They can't fit it into the theory of evolution, which is a total debunked lie from the pit of hell. But if you buy into the theory of evolution, it's real easy to do what Hitler did and justify slaughtering millions and millions and millions of people because they're just a lesser species that need to be eliminated. We need to have the better bloodline, the Aryan bloodline, the fifth root race. So see, the theory of evolution is incredibly dangerous because if you buy into that line of thinking, hey, there is no God, Eat, drink, you know, be merry, for tomorrow we die. And we just cease to exist. Which is really what the theory of evolution teaches. So, again, that's what I believe it's being suppressed. Those two reasons. Nonetheless, there are, going back to the article, nonetheless, there are a surprising number of stories that allege sorts of, all sorts of conspiratorial happenings ranging from a recovery of mummified bodies by organizations and groups that spirit them away into the shadows to mislabeling of samples and specimens that leads to filing and miscategorization. Thus, locating the original discovery is more difficult, particularly if they were uncovered more than a century ago. You, You can't... I don't know... I don't think there's any place you can just about go in America. I mean you would think that this would be one of the biggest discoveries of... They've discovered these giant skeletons all over America. All over. When they've excavated particularly Indian mounds. 11-foot skeletons, 15-footers, 7-footers, 8-footers. I mean, where we live here, I can remember reading just a book about this particular area. And when they went in... um, and they cleared the land, particularly in Cape Coral, Florida. They dug all these canals and just leveled the land. Took all the trees off, leveled the land, dug canals. It was purely for monetary purposes. But with all that digging, they uncovered 11 foot skeletons of giants. You know, why, why isn't that front page news? You know, I mean, they're always talking about archaeological finds. I have done a ton of studying regarding, you know, even the uh, Okeechobee area uh, in Florida. I'll just read you a little, a little of the research I've I've had regarding that subject. Uh, this is from Chapter Four, Northern Wanderings, of this particular book. I don't know the title, but early. Uh, let's see. Early in the century, the water in Lake Okeechobee was at a record low because of new canals and drained the shallow region for agricultural reasons. shoreline receded to reveal hundreds of very large human-like skulls protruding from the muck bottom. Some early settlers of the lake were quoted as describing the scene as it looked. the skulls looked like pumpkins in a field. There were so many of them. And they were unusually large. Notice that. In 1961... The Florida Archaeological Society uncovered 54 upright long-bodied skeletons on top of what appeared to be older burials of a smaller bone race with elongated skulls. Now this doesn't sound like anything human to me. You ever see anybody walk around with an elongated human skull? I can tell you where you can go see them. Lima, Peru. They've got a whole museum down there. They haven't been able to stamp this out in all parts of the earth unless they've taken them out of there. But, I mean, you can go up on the internet and just key in Lima, Peru, elongated skulls or whatever museum, and you'll see them. Huge, I mean, these things are not human. Well, they found the same thing there in um, <clears throat> in some excavations in the Okeechobee area. They, ha- they were elongated skulls with receding foreheads. Uh... In the 1930s, the Smithsonian Institute, who is one of the primary organizations responsible for this cover up, the Smithsonian Info- Institute excavated the Chosen Mound, meaning one of the, they call it the Chosen Mound, was the name of the actual Indy Barrow Mound, and found distinct small bone skeletons with elongated heads. In 1919, Connolly Nall, a surveyor farming on a recently dried island in the lake, Lake Okeechobee, dug up 50 additional skeletons that were unusually large-boned, but these were lost in the hurricane of 1926. Yeah, well. So, I mean, this is over and over and over. I got this book from the most famous... I got this quote I'm going to read you next from the most famous book written about the Everglades, which is the ri- Everglades River of Grass by Marjorie Stoneman Douglas. Page 236. I I I typed this right out of the book when I read it. Quote on this coast, where every old timer tells of stories of a vanished giant race, where men claim still to have seen dug up enormous thigh bones and jaw bones twice as big as their own. It was a foregone conclusion with a lot of the old timers of times past. It wasn't a it wasn't a theory of debate. But organizations like the Smithsonian Institute, if they can get there first, what they'll do is quickly sweep it under the rug. And then all of a sudden, everything turns up missing. Anyway, I just wanted to kind of give you a little more background on this particular subject. Okay, so anyway, I just wanted to kind of touch upon that and um let's go to the next and last article i believe here it's a i've entitled it more lies from old splitfoot's pride and joy devil Betraya. sorry i wanted to have a little catchy title for the ending thing there anyway this is from um <laughs> chip off the old block um share internationals magazine april 2010 issue that's this just came out recently and again, I'm not, I'm not putting this up here because I'm saying we buy into all this. I'm saying I've had a lot of questions about, you know, about Maitreya and these types of things. So I'm going to kind of let them say, um, give their angle on maybe what to kind of expect about something in, in the near future here regarding Maitreya. Uh, question. This is a question to Benjamin Krem, Maitreya's Pied Piper and Mouthpiece. They ask him, in Maitreya's television interviews in the U.S., um, does he always use the same name? Benjamin Krem says, yes. Second question, does Maitreya always look the same in all the TV interviews? Uh, He responds, he varies his clothes, as we all do, but he is using the body in which he appears in the world. Okay? And again, nobody's been able to... Isolate these interviews yet? Everybody's saying it's Raj Patel. Okay. Well, I'm still unconvinced. I'm still unconvinced. The guy, the guy has pretty much vehemently every interview I've seen. He's done. He's vehemently denied that he is. You know, people have come halfway across the world. He's like, I'm really sorry, you came all the way out here. So it just to me it seems kind of weird that he's going to vehemently deny something. And then at some point he's going to turn around and discredit himself and say, well, I was just lying to you that whole time. (laughs) Yeah, I really pulled one over on you, idiots. I mean, what is he going to do? He's going to discredit himself if he does that. So maybe I'm wrong, okay? I know a lot of people are 100% convinced it's him. I just, I need to see more. I may be wrong, but I need to see more. Um. Anyway, let's go further. Next question. Have the Maitreya interviews been taking place in America or elsewhere? Now, just so you know, um, hes I guess he says he's done nine interviews already. Announced by Benjamin Kram and his public lecture given on January 14, 2010, Maitreya's first interview on the U.S. has taken place As we go to press, Maitreya's given nine interviews. Okay. So I guess you'd have to look. I I mean, I don't know how many interviews Raj Patel's been given, but they're saying that all these interviews have taken place on major uh, TV networks. Okay. Okay, so the next question. How have Maitreya's interviews been taking place in America or elsewhere? Answer. Matreya's interviews have been taking place for the moment in America. But he will go from America to many countries, Japan, Europe, South America, Russia, China, and speak to the world. Don't forget that as he speaks during an interview, there is also an internet broadcast in most cases. These are high power television interviews from major TV programs. And via the internet, he can be heard and seen by millions at the same time. Now, you know what? Why all the mystery about this garbage? If he's really doing this, why all the mystery? Just come out and admit it. I mean, if you're this all-knowing, all-powerful, ascended master, why do you have to be so cloak and dagger and clandestine about all this stuff? I mean, it's to the point where, to me, it just looks like a total liar, which I guess, you know, he is of his father the devil, and out of the lust of his father he will do, true. But it's just, to me, it's just, it looks very discrediting to what, You know, supposedly they're trying to accomplish here. Then he goes on to say that if he's doing the interview in America, he'll speak in English. If he's in Japan, he would speak Japanese and Russia Russian, China, Chinese, so on. So millions will hear and have access to every interview he gives. Question Have all of Matreya's interviews been taking place on the same channel in the USA so far? Answer, yes, the same channel so far. So, if somebody was researching this, according to Benjamin Krem, they would have to fit this criteria. The same channel. I'm not saying any of it's even true. I'm just saying, if there is any truth in this, that should correspond with um, what Benny's saying here. Anyway, let's go further. Question, how long do the television interviews last on average? Answer, they, they last an average of a half an hour. Okay, then the next part. Uh, question and answer session again. But this is regarding the UFOs, their spiritual mission. Conference questions and answers with Benjamin Krem. Uh, he gave this at the U.S. and European Transmission Meditation Conference in 2009. Question to Benjamin Krem. In our approach to the public and the media, should we speak more about the star? This is the star sign okay, that we've talked about in times past. Should we speak more about the star and the space brothers, meaning the UFOs and all that stuff, in relation to the emergence of Maitreya? Now, this is kind of important because it shows you how intricately tied the two are. Okay, The star, the UFOs, the space brothers, they call them their space brothers, and Maitreya. Answer, as a member of this group, there is no difference in talking about the star or about the reappearance of the Christ, meaning Maitreya, and the masters of wisdom, which would be the space brothers, these ascended masters. Why? Because Maitreya and these supposed ascended masters who are going to come on the the um, scene in order to save the planet and save humanity are going to be intricately tied to the UFO movement. Doesn't that by default tie them to all of the negative things that have happened regarding the UFO movement? All the forced abductions? Women turning up pregnant? I mean, this isn't something that millions of people have had and there's no merit to. Polls that have been done say... Anywhere from 2 to 4% of the American population has been abducted and been experimented upon and had unbelievably horrific things happen to them. And you're telling me there's no merit in any of that? It's all in all their heads, all these millions of people? They're pure evil. There is no good and bad aliens like the V series would have you believe, it's demonic, it's fallen angelic, it's pure evil. Sometimes, yes, they try to appear as, as angels of light. But the Bible says, if Satan can appear as an angel, a minister, of, uh angel of light, it's no marvel that his ministers can be, appear as ministers of righteousness. That doesn't necessarily have to just mean an apostate pastor or, or a reprobate pastor. It doesn't have to necessarily just mean that one thing. Satan can have different forms of ministers. I believe they can be somebody like a Buddhist priest, or a Hindu priest, or a Catholic one. There's different ways that that can be represented. As far as these good alien races, that's what you're getting. Like the Nordics and these types of people that say that they come here to battle the bad ones. It's the whole good cop, bad cop. Don't believe any of it. It's all garbage, it's all lies from the pit of hell. But that's why they have this, like the series B, on right now, because they're supposedly a faction of these, this alien race here is here to help us, and they're here to, to fight against the bad ones. Don't believe any of it. Going further, it says. Well, I'm just going to read this over. As a member of this group, there is no difference in talking about the star or the reappearance of the Christ and the masters of wisdom. They are part of the same process. It is not one or the other. It is all part of a whole. It is the last, latest phase in the process that has gone on for years, by which Maitreya and the group of masters who are coming with him to re-enter openly into the modern world, just like they were in the days of Noah. Hey, here comes these fallen angels to procreate with women. The sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were fair. They took them wives, all that they chose. And in those days were giants. The men of old, the men of renown. That word translated from the word Nephilim in the Hebrew, meaning the fallen ones. Well, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. These are the ones that are going to come to present themselves to humanity. Jesus predicted it. Then it goes on to say they have already been in position in the world for years. This is a new phase and, quote, the star is there as a herald for the Maitreya's process of working openly, reaching humanity through radio and television. What is the star? The star, according to them, is a knockoff of the star of Bethlehem that guided the wise men to to Jesus. It's blasphemous, I know, but that's what they say. I've I've quoted their stuff in times past. The star, of course, now this is Krem talking, the star, of course, is not a star. It is a spaceship, a UFO, an enormous spacecraft. The usual, everyday scout craft UFOs are only about 25 to 30 feet in diameter, which is big, but not that big. This star is gigantic. It is the size of five football fields put together. Now, and they also say there's four of them. And each one of them will appear, and they appear differently every time in different quadrants of the world in order to precondition humanity to UFO arrival. And to supposedly herald in the New Age Christ, Maitreya, just like the star of Bethlehem heralded in Jesus Christ. What is Satan? He's a master counterfeiter. That's why he's doing this. Going further... If the reality of the star can be presented to the public, it does two things. It is a herald for Maitreya's advent in the physical, everyday world, and it is also proof of the reality of the Space Brothers. These stars must have been made somewhere. These two important things come together in the story. Maitreya's approach to the public beginning, with his coming on television in the very near future, Although unannounced as Maitreya, he will use another name at first. And also the knowledge of the UFO reality. See, they're, they're intricately tied together is what I'm, the point I'm trying to make. And I don't know of any other person making claim to be Antichrist that is claiming... I'm not saying Maitreya is making claim to be Antichrist. He actually says he's all things rolled up into one. He says he's the fifth Buddha to the Buddhists. He is Imam Mahdi to the Muslims, their awaited savior. He is the Christ to the Christians. He is the Messiah to the Jews. Um, and he is Krishna to the Hindus. He's the total package. In fact, he's even got shirts now that they're selling off to Sharon International site. And it has a picture of Maitreya, and it says, the total package. And then... On the bottom, it has another thing, and it says the creme of the crop. Get it, Benjamin Cream? Sorry. Anyway, and it has the big star thing in the background. He's selling those. Like uh, when you go to a rock concert and they sell t-shirts, it's the same concept. you know. Anyway, I'm sorry. I, I can't help but poke fun. I can't help it. you know. Uh, anyway, uh, let's see. Let's go a little bit further there. Uh, wouldn't it be funny though if he had like a of beer koozies and concert T-shirts and one of those I don't know beer koozie hats with Matreya on the I don't know. Anyway, sorry, sorry. Um, let's go further. So anyway, he's saying that these stars, which they're not stars, they're they're giant UFOs. It is the herald from Matre's advent in the physical, everyday world. and It's also proof of the reality of the Space Brothers. Again, they're intricately tied together. Okay, Hollywood's not devoting all this attention all these years to all these UFO movies and miniseries and TV shows for nothing. There has got to be some kind of agenda behind it. They're, they're preconditioning us for this for a reason. You think it's just purely for our, our entertainment? No, it's not. These stars, going back to what Krem's saying, these stars must have been made somewhere. These two important things come together in this story. Matre's approach to the public beginning with his coming on television in the very near future. Okay, and I already said that. But, and then he says, also the knowledge of the UFOs is a reality. Then he goes on to say, you cannot talk about one without talking about the other. Now, before, they weren't really as much emphasizing the whole UFO angle with Maitreya. Now, they're saying you can't talk about one without the other. In V, the, the, the miniseries, how are the aliens portraying themselves as the saviors of humanity? They're going to give us free energy. Of course, we already have that, it's just being suppressed. They're going to give us advancements in health care that we've never seen before, eliminate disease and sickness. Of course, we already have a lot of those things, but hey, it wouldn't fit too well into the pharmaceutical model because they'd lose all their money. They, I mean, if they don't have diseases to cure, what, how are they going to make a living? We have to have diseases in order to propagate these industries. I, I'm sorry, but that's the reality of it. Pharmaceutical companies are publicly traded stocks on the stock market, and they are a for-profit venture. Let's go further. Our question, are governments or media actively suppressing information about the star? Answer, governments are not suppressing information about the star, but some media definitely are. You're going to love this next part. They want to know in advance where the star will be on such and such a day, and their cameramen can go out and get a really first class film to show on television and it will be worthwhile. But, of course, that's not going to happen. No one can supply that information. Why? I mean, if he's Maitreya's all-knowing and all-powerful, why can't he supply that information? Anyway, then it goes on to say, that is one reason the media tend not to respond. They want it on a plate. They have always wanted the story on a plate. Um, Likewise, if I had told them Maitreya was coming on a particular program, they would be there with their cameras. They would assess whether that person could be Maitreya or not, and in the end, they would not know. So unlike Is Maitreya to their idea of the Christ that they would probably just ignore the particular person as a possible Maitreya or Christ. Then he goes on to say something interesting. I've never heard him say this before. Of course, he probably has, I just didn't catch it. Krem says, when he, meaning Maitreya, came to the office of the BBC, meaning the British Broadcasting Network, they rejected him. He was in the office of the BBC in around 1986. He had interviews with the director general and the colleagues. They were shown, the BBC directors were shown the last hours of Jesus on the cross as if they were there. They witnessed it. They saw it with their own eyes. They experienced it. They saw the agony, the blood, the people, all of that. The Master Jesus was then asked by Maitreya to come into the office and he came so that they met the Master Jesus as well. They were asked and agreed to mount a big press conference at which Maitreya would appear to talk to journalists and answer all their questions, but they did nothing about it. Instead, they made the information known to the Queen of England as head of the church and state. They thought that she should be the first to know. They probably knew that what the queen would do, which was what to call her advisors in the church. The Archbishop of Canterbury and the bishops. They met, and their views was that was that there was no way this could be the Christ without their knowing. So there's been a complete embargo of this information. Now that's Krem talking. But isn't it amazing that he says they were... What, what was the first thing the BBC was shown in order to validate Maitreya's divinity or whatever. Well, of course they were shown the last hours of Jesus Christ on the cross as though they were there. Isn't this funny that I've seen this as a recurring theme within the whole UFO abduction scenario, a recurring theme on what is going to be presented to the earth to get us to all doubt our faith what does the Bible say? The Bible says that the Antichrist and the false prophet are going to come with all line, signs, wonders, and miracles, thereby which they will deceive the whole world. Would this fall under that? A line, sign, and wonder, and miracle? Wow, we can actually go back and see the last hours of Jesus? But yeah, if you want it edited by the devil, Sure. This is the devil's version. But see, what they say is that Jesus Christ, we got everything wrong. We, We messed up the Bible totally. We don't even know what we're talking about, in fact, of the Bible. It's been, you know, all messed up. And that Jesus Christ, and this is what they teach in his last three and a half years, was overshadowed by Maitreya in spiritual form. And that Maitreya was the one that gave Jesus Christ all the power to do all the miracles and the good that he did. And that he actually literally overshadowed him unto, unto the death on the cross. And it was really, Maitreya was really the one that was responsible. But J- Jesus, they teach, was just a kind of a marginal ascended master. They teach Jesus actually serves Maitreya. Maitreya is over him. And therefore, if you ever believed any of that garbage, and you were shown the last hours of Jesus Christ, unless you're firmly rooted in the word of God, and have built your, your house on the solid rock of Christ Jesus, as the Bible commands us to do, when the winds come and the waves come, you're going to be swept away. Because you've put your trust in either a man... Or a false denomination and not the word of God. And you're going to be swayed. And the Bible predicts it's going to happen to a lot of people. Where? Well, several places, but probably the most telling is 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And it's in conjunction with the Antichrist or that wicked being revealed and the falling away or the apostasy which is where we derive the word falling away from in the church, the apostasy and the falling away and the wicked being revealed, the Antichrist. It's all in conjunction with that. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 says, for God, for this cause God shall send them strong delusion that they will believe a lie that they might all be damned who receive not the love of the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. That's what the Bible says. Not what I'm saying. God's sending it. He's going to permit most likely, Matray to do this. I'm not saying Matre's the Antichrist. I'm saying he's a pretty likely candidate. But whatever ends up going down, it's going to be God permitting it to happen. And what greater way to deceive, particularly the Christian denominations, than this? showing the last hours of Jesus on the cross as though they were there. They witnessed it, it says they saw it with their own eyes, they experienced it, they saw the agony, the blood, the people and all that. Why why do they always tend, why does the devil always tend to keep on having anything to do with discrediting Jesus Christ? Because you know this is going to be used to discredit Jesus Christ, saying that he's subservient to Maitreya. And that Maitreya was the one that gave him the power to do this because they know that's the only true threat to implementing the new world order. The Lord Jesus Christ, Bible-believing Christianity. And I understand the book of Daniel and Revelation, the devil's going to have it his way to a certain extent for a time. But I still believe we're supposed to be good soldiers. We're, st- we're still supposed to earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered unto the saints, on and on and on. And guess what? Guess who Master Jesus looks like? All those Catholic portrayals of the long-haired hippie version Jesus that they say, he looks just like him. Wow, that's interesting. How would they know? Those paintings didn't even come around until like hundreds of years after he died. It's a portrayal. But guess what? It looks just like the ascended Master Jesus. Now, what they say in their literature is that this Master Jesus is going to take over the reins of the Roman Catholic Church, under which all Christian religions, denominations of the world, will be united. In other words, it's almost like he's going to be the next Pope. That's what they're saying. I'm not saying it's going to go down that way. I'm telling you what they're saying. So anyway, that's um, something to think about there. I just want you to be prepared. I don't know 100% how it's going to go down, but I do want you to be prepared for this possible eventuality and scenario. Most likely, all of this that I just described will be on the heels of something like World War III. Most likely, multiple cataclysmic events. Earthquakes, volcanoes, false flag, nuclear events. Who knows what's going to happen? World War III. Why? Because we're going to be much more receptive in a traumatized state on the heels of traumatic, traumatic events to accept a Savior than we would be, let's say, right now, even though I know things aren't great in the world. Trauma can be a tremendous motivator for you to accept things you wouldn't normally otherwise accept. That's the key. Last question here. In your talk, you mentioned the Space Brothers are gentle and subtle. Oh yeah, they're subtle. But where else do we hear that mention? Could it be the start of Genesis 3? The serpent was more subtle than that of any beast of the field? This is where we have the advent of Satan coming on the scene, essentially, and deceiving Eve. Where we have the first recorded sin of a human being. How did he do it? Through subtlety. What did he do it by? questioning God's word. Yea, hath God said. What is everything that we just read you here? When they come, and if they were to put up a technicolor thing of Jesus supposedly being crucified on the cross, and then they're going to present their false gospel, and their false Jesus, and their false Maitreya, isn't that questioning God's word in a gigantic way? That's like questioning God's word on steroids. So, they're Satan hasn't changed his tactics. In your talk, you mentioned the Space Brothers are gentle and subtle. Answer, it is obvious, by the way, they have presented themselves through crop circles. A lot of people say, oh, these crop circles. Well, guess what? Any line, sign, wonder, miracle taking place on the planet, whether it be Catholic miracles, Hindu, Buddhist, crop circles, you name it, the UFO phenomenon in general, guess who's taking credit for all of it? Yes, devil Betraya. Because he's the head of this spiritual hierarchy, these ascended masters that control all of these things. Again, I'll start again. It is obvious, by the way, they have presented themselves through crop circles, meaning these benevolent space brothers. And then also crosses of light on buildings. Have you seen those? These crosses of light, they turn up in churches. And these people think, oh, this is of God. I'm not saying God can't do a miracle. But if these signs and wonders are leading you away from true Bible-believing Christianity, then they're not of God. Simple as that. Just look at the fruit of of the supposed miracle. If it's leading you to Mary, or the Lady of Medjugorje, or the Lady of Lords, or whatever, or Maitreya, or some Buddhist god. It's not of God. It's simple. Anyway, it goes on to say, they presented themselves through crop circles, crosses of light on buildings, and so on. They are capable of the most gentle type of approach. Yeah, like kind of like when they abduct these men and women, and there's all these thousands and thousands of accounts of this happening, and how they probe them, and they do the most sadistic examinations and operations and surgeries with no anesthesia. And impregnate people and take their DNA and their sperm and their eggs and all of these things that they're doing. And just so you know, there's a, there's a surefire way out of that. Now you've got to believe it, and, and most likely you know, you need to be a born-again Christian. But I'm not saying God couldn't use that to bring somebody to the Lord Jesus Christ. But you better cry out, in the, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, you cry out for him and that abduction will stop. You better believe it though. I mean, if you don't believe it, then what will happen? Probably nothing. Why? Because faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. You have to have faith in Jesus Christ. And if you're believing in some false Jesus... Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So, anyway, that's there's a whole ministry devoted that's called CE4 Research, where they where they cite abduction scenario after abduction scenario after abduction scenario that have been thwarted and stopped just by crying out to the Lord Jesus Christ. I had a very similar wasn't an abduction scenario, but I had a very similar scenario to that that I cite in the teaching that I did on my supernatural experiences that you can find up on YouTube or on the com in the archive section. Anyway, let's go further. Um, regarding these space brothers, this is from Krem. That is normally part of their way of doing it. Gentle. Right. Yeah. Tell, tell that to all the people they've, you know, destroyed. And then it says, they do not want to infringe on human free will, or create havoc. What a liar from the pit of hell this guy is. I'm sorry, but he is. He's nothing more than a mouthpiece of Satan. Everything he says, you can pretty much just turn around, and that's the truth. It's 100, you know, 180 degrees. And then he says, their approach is tangential. What a great word. They go about it very quietly, just showing you if you have eyes to see and a mind to work with, that they have left their visiting card, clearly stating, quote, we are from space and other planets of your system. We have come to help you. We are engaged in work on your behalf. Here is a sample of our work. We hope you like the drawing. Meaning when they come down and they do a crop circle, we hope you like our little calling card and our drawing we we left for you. Like, they're just coming here real subtly to entertain us a little bit and do this or that. Now, crop circles are a fact. I understand some of them have been hoaxed. But there's many, 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 there's no way they could have been hoaxed. They turn up in an instant. And they're perfectly done. The geometry is unbelievable. It's just another line, sign, and wonder. Preparing the masses to being deceived. And then he goes on to say, We have to ask where the crop circles come from. They appear in the middle of the fields of Wiltshire and elsewhere, enormous things. I believe in reference to England there. They cannot be made by human hands, and yet there is nothing to show how they were done. They are actually created in a few seconds, however big that they may be. The plan is already being drawn up, the machinery is set, and as the craft moves over it for a few seconds over a piece of ground, the turning, the crossing, the bending of the grass of the crop takes place automatically as they guide the craft in. It has all been planned in advance so that the craft will not do anything else. But it is very quiet. And that's most likely accurate, what he did say at the very end there, on how they're made. But this is a big thing that people can't explain. And as Christians, if you had a New Ager come up to you and say, well, what do you say about this, Mr. Christian? And when all this stuff really starts to kick into high gear, with the line signs and wonders, how are you going to give them an answer? unless you have some type of education on these issues. That's what I'm trying to attempt to do in the, in the niche ministry that the Lord's put me in. So that's all we have for today. We'll go ahead and close out with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day and this time you've given us. Lord God in heaven, for all your goodness and mercy, I do pray, God, that you'd forgive us for any and all sins we've committed in any way, shape, or form, Lord God in heaven, that you would cleanse us from presumptuous sins and secret faults, they would not have dominion over us. I do pray, God, that you would save those that are listening to this broadcast, any that are not saved. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray your convicting power, your fear would be upon them, that that would drive them to the Lord Jesus Christ, that you would lead them to my teaching on salvation, or whatever method, Lord God, you would choose to save their souls. I pray you bless my listeners, Lord, uh, that you prepare us for the day and times we're moving into, that we would not be taken unawares by these things that are coming upon the world, that we would be a beacon to those who are being deceived by these things, not only now but later, that we would stand up boldly for the truth, that we would not shriek back in fear, that we would fear no man but only thee. We praise you, Lord. We ask all these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.